morning, Bethel. How's everyone doing this wonderful morning? Man, we need some help there. Are you guys glad to be at church this morning? All right, that's that's more like it. Well, we are continuing in our series on the uh, King David, and to bring us up to speed at this point in our series. If you remember last week, we kind of left him as David and Nabal and David marrying Abigail. And David had been kind of out wandering in the wilderness, per se, trying to stay away from King Saul because King Saul had a bounty on his head. Well, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning. And, and to try to bring us up to speed a little bit on where we are in our story at this point, King Saul went to battle with the Philistines. And if you remember, God said, told King Saul, your sons will not succeed you as king. There will be another. You have disobeyed me. And so King Saul went to battle with the Philistines at the end of 1 Samuel. And the Israelites lost the battle. His three sons were killed. Three of his sons were killed, one of those being Jonathan. And King Saul himself took his life. And so we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the first eight chapters of 1 Samuel are David coming in as the new king in Israel, him conquering the enemies around Israel. He is floating on cloud nine because he is this mighty king who has subdued all of his enemies. He's enjoying victory and peace and power and prosperity. And he, we're looking at David at this point, and we're thinking David is this, this rock star in Israel. And there's two seasons of life that will really test your character. And we're going to see that today of David. Either a season of adversity or a season of prosperity. And this season of success clearly demonstrates the way that David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Our sermon today reveals David's heart of kindness to an individual. And we're going to find his name is Mephibosheth. Why don't you say that three times really quick? Mephibosheth. I had to practice this week. Mephibosheth was who we are, our story is going to be about today. But David's kindness to Mephibosheth illustrates something greater for us. And that greater is that God's grace is amazing. God's grace that seeks us, that welcomes us, that enriches us through Jesus Christ. 2 Samuel is a historical event that functions really as a story to teach us about the marvelous grace of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, it describes David as being in a place in his life where he did not need anything. He, had, he was in need of nothing. But in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the one who did not need anything started searching for someone to show kindness to. Let's pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let me stop right there. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about the relationship between David and Jonathan. 
David and Jonathan were best friends to the point where they made a covenant together to take care of each other's family after one of them were to pass. Jonathan in the battle with the Philistines, he had passed on from the scene. And so David is wanting to find someone in Saul's house to help him fulfill that covenant to his friend Jonathan. Verse 2, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Look at the way that Ziba describes him. Doesn't give his name. He said he is crippled in his feet. Now there's nothing, no external power that's forcing David to show this kindness. No one is pressuring him to do it. David is truly doing this out of kindness in his heart. The external reason why David sought out someone to show kindness to was because of Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, his love for Jonathan. Jonathan loved David so much that he protected him from Saul's wrath and supported his ascension to the throne of Israel, even though it was Jonathan's right as the prince to be the next king. And so David and Jonathan entered this covenant together, and David promised to be kind to Jonathan's house after his promotion and Jonathan's death. And so Ziba here is Saul's servant who administered Saul's estate. He was still living after Saul's death. And when David summoned him and inquired about the surviving members of Saul and Jonathan's families, Ziba, we see here, singles out one individual. This one individual who he describes as crippled in his feet. Even though there were others he could have mentioned. We know that there, scripture tells us later, there were other surviving members of Saul's house. But he didn't mention Mephibosheth by name. Verse 3, Ziba introduced Mephibosheth by his condition, which is he's crippled in his feet. According to 2 Samuel 4.4, Mephibosheth was just five years old when Saul and Jonathan died in the battle with the Philistines. When the news reached the royal family, of course they fled. Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and as she was fleeing, she dropped him and fell on him, crippling him for life. It seems that Ziba reports Mephibosheth's condition to say, really, David... He's not really worth your time. He's not going to bring you anything. It's not, he's not going to do anything to unite these houses that are here. No one looks at him as anything great. He's crippled. He can neither hurt nor help the king. Let's look at verse 4. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mashir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Uttered by Ziba's unflattering description, David replied, <laughs> Where is he? Tell me. 
I want to know. And Zeba's report that he was hiding out in the name of a benefactor in Lodibar. Lodibar means literally no pasture. No pasture. It was a barren, unfruitful, terrible place. You have to think, in Mephibosheth's mind, he's thinking, okay, there's a new king. The old dynasty has left. The new dynasty is in control. Let me go somewhere where they won't think to look for me. In a dry and barren land. Mephibosheth was a crippled man from a fallen dynasty living in a in horrible environment. No threat to King David, but David reached out to him in kindness. Verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mashir, to the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. You have to think. When the king's soldiers knocked on the door out in Lodabar, and carried him to Jerusalem, he must have seen his whole life flash before his eyes. When a new king arose, the family of the previous dynasty, it was just what happened. The previous king's family was put to death. So there would be no revolts, no rebellions later, no figurehead by which to form a coalition around to dethrone the existing dynasty so the new king would come and wipe off all of the old king's family. We see that happen all throughout history. So Mephibosheth must have entered David's presence wondering, is this the last day I'm going to be on this earth? Verse 6 tells us what happens. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David embraced him like a long-lost friend. Man, can you imagine what's going through Mephibosheth as he's bowing down on his hands and his knees thinking, man, is he going to kill me? Not only does he show him kindness, he gives him all of the land that his grandfather, King Saul, had. He gives it back to him and said, you will eat at my table. Man, what an act of grace and kindness. You know, David's kindness really teaches us two important things that we can see here about grace. Grace means that you do not need to be afraid of God's wrath. Remember at the beginning of this, this story is really a parable for us about God and his grace to us. Can you imagine the sense of terror that must have consume Mephibosheth when he met King David. Imagine the surprise to him when he said, do not fear for I will show you kindness. David's kindness removed Mephibosheth's fear and God's grace, it does the same exact thing for us. 
we can confidently sing Psalms 27.1 when it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Man, because of the grace of God, we can sing that psalm. There is an old story about President Thomas Jefferson. He was riding horseback across the country when he and some of his companions, and they're out on the western side of Virginia, had come across a swollen river. And there was a traveler who stood at the banks as the group passed by. But when Jefferson approached the man, the man hailed the president, asked him if he would carry him across the river on his horse. Now, you have to remember, back in that time period, the president's face was not something that was just plastered across all of, you know, culture. You know, Thomas Jefferson, you know, you may have seen a picture of, of the president, but you heard his name, but you didn't know who he was. And so this man asked the president to carry him across the river. And once on the other side, one of the group asked why he had selected the president for this favor. And the man was surprised <laughs> I didn't know this was President Jefferson. All I know is that some of the faces had written on them, no, and his face said yes. <laughs> Think about the innocence in that. Think about the surprise of Thomas Jefferson being asked this request and this man being told the president was the one whose face showed kindness was the one who looked like he wanted to help. You know, I think that's a, a good definition of grace. Grace is the smiling face of God. It communicates God's acceptance, God's approval, His affirmation. God's grace means that we do not have to fear the judgment, the wrath, and the condemnation of God if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Grace also means that you do not have to be ashamed of your weakness. David promised to show kindness to Mephibosheth. David vowed to restore Saul's estate to Mephibosheth. And David assured Mephibosheth a permanent place at the royal table. Now, step back and put yourself in the emotional turmoil that Mephibosheth must have been at. Five minutes before he thought he was going to die... And then now he's one of the richest people in, in Israel. Not only is he not only the, one of the richest people in Israel, but he has a, a seat at the king's table. Like, just imagine the emotional, like, 180 this is doing. You're like, oh, well, hang on. So you mean I, I, I'm not going to die? And now I've got all of my grandfather's estate and I get to hang out with the king? I, like, your brain probably just can't process all of it. Let's see his response, verse 8. And he said... And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He, 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 he doesn't know what to say. He said, Who am I? Why are you doing this? Who am I? One of the most degrading things you could call a person in David's day was a dog. Even today, that's not a, a, a great thing to call someone. And for a person to call himself a dog would be a great act of self-deprecation that expressed humble submission before its superior authority. 
But note he doesn't just call himself a dog, he calls himself a dead dog. That's how Mephibosheth saw himself. Less than nothing. The worst of the worst. Lower than rock bottom. Mephibosheth thought, I can't walk, I can't provide for my family, I'm a low-down, good-for-nothing cripple. I'm a dead dog. Why are you showing me this kindness? But that's not how David saw him. And that's not how God sees you. There is a sociological concept called the theory of the looking glass self. It suggests that we have a way of seeing ourselves to the eyes of other people and we incorporate their views of us into our own self-concept. This is why so many of us have such a perverted view of life. We only see ourselves through the lens of other people's opinions of us. But grace leads us to look at ourselves through the lens of God's marvelous, amazing grace. So many times we look at our past, we look at what we have done, and we say, why would God want anything to do with me, a dead dog? I'm worthless. I'm nothing. And God looks at us with his marvelous grace. And he bestows upon us kindness. We don't have to be ashamed of what we see because that is not the lens through which God sees us. Faith is to receive God's acceptance of you. You may feel like you're crippled spiritually in a life living in Lodabar, but God loves you. There is nothing that can make God love you more, and there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. In Romans 8, 38, 39, the Apostle Paul tells us, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing. I think the Apostle Paul covered it pretty well there, don't you? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Let's see. So we switch from, in our story, from this conversation of David and Mephibosheth. Now David's going to turn his conversation to Ziba, Saul's servant. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul... And to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Man, (laughs) what a great passage. 
You know, these verses illustrate, I really think, three ways in which God's grace lifts up the fallen. It lifts us up when we fall. God's grace, it gives us undeserved riches. That's what David did for Mephibosheth. He restored to him all of the land that Saul and Jonathan had. David did not have to do that, but to keep his promise to Jonathan, he could have just put Mephibosheth on kind of a royal welfare system and still kept his promise and kept Saul's estate for himself. But David didn't do that. David gave it all, all to Mephibosheth. It was so great, you saw there that it said that, Z, that David commanded Ziba to work the land for Mephibosheth. He had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's how great the land was for them to be able to manage the estate. With one decree from the king, Mephibosheth went from living in someone's house in the middle of Lodabar, which was nowhere, to owning a royal estate, sitting at the king's table. This is what God's grace does. It enriches us. Everywhere we look in our life is a testament to God's grace in your life. The bed you lay your head down at night, the car you drove here today, the job that God gave to you, the wife and children or husband and children that God gave to you, the air that you breathe at this moment is God's grace that he is enriching your life with. God's grace is marvelous gives us undeserved riches. God's grace gives us unconditional favor. We're told four times in this chapter that David gave Mephibosheth a permanent place at his royal table. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Imagine this scene with me. This would be a great scene, I think, for a movie. The dinner bell rings throughout the king's palace, and David comes and he sits down at the head of the table. In a few moments, Amnon comes and sits down, one of David's sons, clever, crafty. Amnon sits down to the left of David. Lovely and gracious Tamar, charming and beautiful young woman, comes and she sits down at the royal table next to Amnon. Then across the way comes the intelligent, the dazzling apparent Solomon takes his place at the table. Then Absalom, handsome, winsome, with beautiful flowing hair down to his shoulders, comes and sits at David's table. Maybe that particular evening, Joab, the courageous warrior, the general of David's, uh, of his armies, has been invited to dinner. Muscular and bronze, Joab has a seat at David's table. And as they wait to eat, they hear the shuffling. Clump, clump of the crutches of Mephibosheth rather awkwardly finds his place at the table. He slips into a seat and no doubt probably the tablecloth of the king's table covers his crippled feet.
I ask you, did Mephibosheth understand grace? Absolutely. It says in verse 13, So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth remained crippled. But his crippled feet were hidden under the king's table. And that's what grace does. We were crippled by our sin, and the blood of Jesus covers our sin. And so because of the blood of Jesus, when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and not our sin. That's grace, church. Do you understand that what God did for us in Jesus is a million, infinitely times more than what David did for Mephibosheth? Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more, so that in sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace gives us unconditional favor. And grace gives us unending security. Second Samuel 21 verses 1 through 7, it, tell, it illustrates David's ongoing protection of Mephibosheth. You see, before David had become king, Saul had waged an unjust war against the Gibeonites. But for the punishment for Saul's sin, it did not fall on Saul, but it fell on David's reign. A three-year famine had struck the land, and when David prayed about it, God said, the reason why this is happening is because of Saul's sin. So David went to the Gibeonites to make restitution so the famine would end in Israel. And the Gibeonites demanded that David hand over seven of Saul's sons and grandsons to be hung. And David agreed. But there's one that David would not give up. Who was that? Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 21.7 said, But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. That's how God's grace treats us. We deserve death and hell because of our sin if it was not for Jesus. It's because of Jesus we are spared. So how should you respond to the grace, goodness, and generosity of God? Let me answer that with another episode from Mephibosheth's life recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to look at this in a future week. David's kingdom was threatened by a revolt from his own son Absalom. During this conflict, David became a refugee and he had to flee the city of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the capital, was abandoned for a period of time during this time of civil war. Ultimately, David prevailed. Absalom was defeated in battle, and David finally returned to Jerusalem. Upon his arrival, David confronted Mephibosheth. 
When David fled Jerusalem, Mephibosheth remained behind. And remember Saul's servant Ziba? Ziba told him that Mephibosheth stayed behind because he had turned against David and had joined with Absalom. When David returned, Mephibosheth, who had not bathed or shaven, since David's departure met him, and he said, King David, can I tell you my side of the story? He said, Ziba left me, and I'm crippled. I had no other means of escape. Why would I forsake you? I had nothing, and you gave me everything. Not knowing whose story to believe, David split Saul and Jonathan's estate evenly between Ziba and Mephibosheth. And this is Mephibosheth's response in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 30. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. He may have been crippled, but he had a sharp mind. <laughs> let him have it all, king. I've got you. I've got you. He said, the only reason why I have anything, oh, king, is because you've been good to me. You've given everything to me. I'm not going to hold on to my stuff and lose you. Let him have it all. I have you, oh, king. The one who took care of me yesterday will take care of me tomorrow. I don't need it because you're home, king. I'm talking to someone here today. Someone here today who is struggling, who needs a reminder that the Lord has been good to you. We sing about it. I love that new song that Pastor Jay led us in. It fits so well with this sermon today. We ought to be like Mephibosheth and say, you can have everything, God, because I have you. You took care of me yesterday, and whatever tomorrow brings, I know you'll take care of me then too. Won't he take care of you? When we lose our jobs, will he not take care of you? Yes. Won't he take care of you through relational struggles? Absolutely. Won't he take care of you when a friend walks away and betrays you? Absolutely. Won't he take care of you through sickness? Absolutely. So why don't you worry? Why, why do you worry about what tomorrow holds when you have the king? That's why when we get up in the morning, we should pray, Lord, this is your house. This is your car. This is your family. You can have it all. All I need is you. That is grace. We wouldn't even be here and for certain, we wouldn't have the opportunity to have an eternal life if it was not for 
the grace of God. There's the old hymn that maybe many of you sung. I sung it as a child growing up. It said, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there was the blood of the lamb that was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's pray.